Good morning. We are back. Appreciate you tuning in this morning. I am Pastor Tommy McMurtry of the Liberty Baptist Church and wanted to be a blessing to you today and share some scriptures with you. And we've got a lot we want to cover today. Uh, I had a question come in just asking if I would discuss the Bible references about different rewards in heaven in light of the fact that we are saved by grace, not of works, and none of us are good. So uh, the question is, what are some Bible references about this? Well, the uh, Bible does teach that uh, we are not saved by works. That is absolutely true. And the Bible also teaches on Judgment Day that we're going to receive rewards based on our works. So, uh, what's this all about? Well, let's look at some scriptures, and I think it can become very clear uh, what the Bible's talking about. But in Revelation chapter 22, verse 10, right at the very end of the Bible, it says, And he said unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. So notice that he's coming, his reward is with him. And basically, at the day of Christ, when he returns, he's coming and he's going to bring rewards. And now these rewards, well, I'm going to show you more scriptures in a little bit. These have nothing to do with salvation and going to heaven. But after you get saved, God does expect some works from us. God expects some things because it's not just heaven after this earth. There's going to be, or after we die, it's not just heaven. There's going to be a thousand year millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And we are going to rule and reign with him here on the earth. And we're going to be rewarded and things based on our works, our position, whatever it is. We don't know everything about it, but we, we know little details about it. But one thing is very clear. What we do during that time is based on what we've been doing here during this time. And that's why it's so important that we maintain good works. And the Bible often talks about our works. They are very important, not for salvation, but before receiving rewards and for the next life. And in Second Timothy chapter four verse six says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. What is that day? Well, it's the day of Christ. Well, what's the day of Christ? The day of his appearing. And we don't have time to go into all the verses, but there are many, many verses that talk about us not being ashamed at his coming. In other words, uh, when we're being obedient to Christ, when we are following his commandments and we are fulfilling his will. We won't have to be ashamed of His coming. We can be excited about His coming, but many people are going to be ashamed at Christ's return because they're not ready, because they're not being obedient. Philippians 1, 9 says, And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in love and in judgment, that he, ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. 
Okay, we need every day we need to be doing our best. We need to be doing right. We want to be sincere until the day of Christ, until he returns. He needs to find us here faithful. Philippians 2:16, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Some people are not going to rejoice in the day of Christ. They're going to be too ashamed because they've been disobedient. There are many Christian people today. They are saved, but they are out of the will of God. It's Sunday morning, but they're not on their way to church today. They're on their way to go fishing or doing something else because they're not right with God. They're saved, but they are in disobedience right now. And if today were the day of Christ and he were to return today, they would be ashamed and so we've got to make sure that we are doing our best. We don't want to be ashamed. We want to, we should be, have a desire to be pleasing God and to be serving Him at His return. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For other foundation can no man lay that, than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it. Okay, We're all building something now in our lives. We're doing works and hopefully it's stuff that's real. It's stuff of substance. That gold, silver, and precious stones. But some people, all they're building, their works are nothing. It's it's wood, hay, and stubble. And what are these works? How, do we, how are we going to know what works were good, what were right, what were pleasing to God? Well, the day is going to declare it. What day? The day of Christ. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. We know in the rapture, uh, the Bible says that we appear in heaven before the throne. And I believe the first thing that takes place is we're going to be judged that day. And our works are going to be judged to see what we've done for Christ. That day is going to reveal it. And 1 Corinthians 3.14 says, If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. He'll lose his rewards. But notice this, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So someone who gets saved and never does anything for Christ, never does anything good for Christ, he'll still be saved because our salvation is not of works. Us making it to heaven is not of works. But what we receive in heaven, our rewards, are based on our works. And you know, unfortunately, many people today, all they're concerned about is just getting into heaven. I mean, they're like that kid in school that shoots for the D. As long as he doesn't fail, he's happy. And you know, we as Christians, that shouldn't be our attitude. We ought to attitude, you know, Christ saved our soul we ought to do our best for Him. I mean, we are going to do everything we can. We want to receive the greatest rewards that we possibly can just because we love Christ. And so, yes, we will receive rewards based on our works, but our salvation, going to heaven, is not of works. And that is crystal clear. So let's not just focus on getting to heaven, even though that's the most important thing for us. But because we're going to heaven, why don't we do something for Christ? I think that would be a very great thing. Well, hopefully you all learned something there. So now, 
a little bit of humor before I get into the main subject that I want to speak on this morning. And here, listen to this story. I think you will appreciate this. It says, a little boy opened the big family Bible. He was fascinated as he fingered through the old pages. Suddenly, something fell out of the Bible. He picked up the object and looked at it. What he saw was an old leaf that had been pressed in between the pages. Mama, look what I found, the boy called out. What have you got there, dear? With astonishment in the young boy's voice, he answered, I think it's Adam's underwear. Anyway, I knew that would get a good laugh. I thought that was pretty funny. But anyway, well, if you all have a question that you would like to ask, just send it to us. Our email address is libertybc, as in Baptist Church, libertybc2011 at att.net. And if you want to send us a question, we will discuss that. Or if you want to send in a joke, we've had several jokes sent in, we'll do that. You can do that. This is your chance to affect the subject matter of this program. So make sure you do that. But right now, I want to deal with the subject this morning. Of course, uh, there, there's been a lot of talk in the last week or so. Of course, I imagine most everybody heard about, you know, is familiar with the Boston bombing incident. And uh, here this la in the last last week, I believe it was, uh, Zokar Sarnayev was sentenced to death. He was sentenced to death. And, of course, I saw all these stories. Uh, you know, what do these different religions think about that? You know, how do people feel about them putting this man to death? And I believe a good thing for us to look at is what the Bible says about the death penalty. I believe... The Bible is very clear on this subject, and many people today, many religions, teach that there should be no death penalty. They think that that's something that is, it's wrong, it is always wrong to take a life. But, you know, what does the Bible say about that? And, you know, unfortunately, too, when you have this discussion with people about the death penalty, uh, one of the big factors in whether we should have it or not is the cost of it. And I, I read one thing, and I, don't, I said I didn't study this, but it says cases without the death penalty usually cost $740,000, while cases where the death penalty is sought cost $1.26 million. Now, if that doesn't prove that something is wrong with our legal system, nothing does. Also, maintaining each death row prisoner costs taxpayers 90000 more per year than a prisoner in general population. And there are 714 inmates on California's death row. And one thing that is very clear uh, and is sad is that, you know, ta I mean, taxpayers are paying a fortune for people to just sit in prison that are never going to get out. Doesn't seem to make any sense. And it's like, you know, bullets are cheap. Why don't we just take care of it quickly? But, unfortunately, um, because of our goofed-up legal system, it costs a fortune to put these people to death. And it takes years and years. And the messed-up legal system, messed-up prison system we have is another subject for another day. But I do think it's good for us to realize just what our government is doing, the way they are wasting money like crazy on these things. However, though, what we're going to talk about today is... 
what the Bible says about the death penalty. What is a biblical uh, view of the death penalty? You know, why why have a death penalty? Okay. Well, first of all, the death penalty. One thing that is crystal clear is that the criminal will never commit the crime again. And I know that's obvious. But listen, you know how many people, how many murders are committed by people who were former murderers that made it out of prison? You know, you look at a lot of these cases with the, you know, rape and the different, uh, perverts and things that are out there. Many of these people are multiple offenders where if they would have been put to death, it never would have happened again. And also another purpose of the death penalty is for those who hear of these senses who see someone put to death or hear that somebody was put to death, they're going to be afraid to commit the same crime. And, you know, the Bible talks about smiting the scorner and the simple will beware. One of the purposes of punishment, it's to deter everyone else from doing the same thing. You know, people are like, well, what are we accomplishing when we put these people to death? Well, you're going to discourage a lot of other people from doing the same thing. So, I mean, those are just obvious reasons for the death penalty. And if you haven't figured it out yet, yes, I am for the death penalty. But what does the Bible say? Okay. You know, well, first of all, it was God himself that instituted the death penalty. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1 is after Noah's ark, after they came out of the ark. It says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air and upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. And every green herb have I given you all things. Now I put this first part in here because one group that is always against the death penalty is usually the environmentalist animal rights groups. Okay, So I threw this in here to show who God gave dominion of the world to. He gave it to mankind. Okay, verse 4, but flesh with the life thereof, which is blood thereof, shall ye not eat. We're not supposed to eat the meat raw. You're supposed to cook it. And surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man and the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed for in the image of God made he man. And you be ye fruitful and multiply and bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. So right here, we see if someone sheds man's blood, man is supposed to shed his. And we call this God when God instituted human government. And we're going to talk about what the purpose of government is. That's very clear in the Bible. But God told man, you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to take care of this. And there are many other scriptures we could look at we don't have time to go into. But I also threw in verse 7 because another group that is against the death penalty, almost always all of them are against the death penalty, would be your groups like Planned Parenthood, I mean Planned Parenthood, places like that. They uh, are always against the death penalty but are for things like abortion and doing everything you can to stop women from getting pregnant. Yet, Genesis 9, 7 be ye fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth. And I like to throw that verse in there just to aggravate that group and remind them that I uh, am trying to fulfill that by having six kids so far. So anyway, 
Uh, I like to tick off a few groups that uh, are that stand for evil. But anyway, so God instituted this, and notice he did it before the law. People will talk about well, the death penalty as being an Old Testament law thing, yet God gave the death penalty before he even gave that Old Testament law. But there, while there are many passages we can go to in the Old Testament about the death penalty, I don't think anybody denies that the death penalty is taught in the Old Testament. I don't think anybody denies that. But what about the New Testament? What does the New Testament say about the death penalty? Well, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 and 17 says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now I want you to understand something. People will use some of these verses that I just read to tell us that we should never say anything bad about our government. And if folks know me personally, they know I'm not a huge fan of our government. And I have been known a time or two to uh, speak out against what is going on in the leadership in our nation. And people say, you're not supposed to do that. But understand something. When the Bible talks about the government, it, uh, the government is a, it's a group of people whose job is the punishment of evildoers. That's what it's specified in here. Our government today that we have, one, they do punish evildoers, but it seems like now most of the focus is on just making things fair for everybody, making sure everybody you know has the same amount of money or the same amount of things. I mean, we've got, our government has created groups like the Internal Revenue Service. I mean, one of the most corrupt and just wicked organizations in America, and they have taken them to do things that the government's not supposed to do, that the government's not supposed to be involved in. The government's job is to punish evildoers. And when you see the Bible talking about governments, it, and it talking about honoring them and respecting them, we're not supposed to stand against our government punishing evildoers. And you know what? There's going to be many people when Tsarnaev is being executed, they're going to go out and they're going to protest that. They are punishing an evildoer. They are punishing a murderer, a terrorist. We should not stand against that. We should not speak against that. We should support that because that is their job. And for once, our government is going to do their job. And boy, you know, when I heard that he was, you know, got the death penalty, I'm just going to be honest. I, it was kind of refreshing. I thought America's not all bad. We're still, our government is still doing a little bit of their job. And unfortunately, they've, uh, our government has made all kinds of things their job that shouldn't be, like healthcare. That is not the job of the government. So many other things that, you know, we don't have time to go into. But when the Bible talks about not speaking against government, it's talking about an organization that is there for the punishment of evildoers. Okay, not 
the fairness police that we have out there today that's regulating everything that, I mean, that does not help people one bit. It's to punish evildoers. Here's another passage, Romans 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. There you go. You gotta follow all those laws. You gotta go along with all their things. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, that they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works. Boy, you know, I've always struggled with that verse, because it sure does seem like rulers today are a terror to good works. But understand the rulers that it's talking about, the government that it's talking about, look at what it is for says, Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. If you're doing right, you shouldn't have to fear government. But yet, look how many people are scared to death of things like the IRS. In verse 4, For he is the minister of God. Who's the minister of God? Okay, The government, whoever is assigned in government, he is a minister of God to thee for good, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Do you see what this government was talking this government that's talking about here? It's talking about somebody who's bearing the sword to punish evildoers. Wherefore ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake, for this cause. Pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. So when it says be subject to the higher powers, it is saying that we are to support the punishment of evildoers. That's what it's for. And then he says, for this cause, pay ye tribute. The word we use today is taxes. This is why we pay taxes, so they can punish evildoers, so they can bear the sword. So that nowadays we would say so they can bear the shotgun or whatever. They're supposed to go after these people, people that are hurting others, murderers, you know, rapists. They are supposed to take these people and they're supposed to end their life for the safety of decent human beings. That is the purpose of government. For this cause, pay ye tribute. We don't pay taxes. We're not supposed to pay taxes. So we can make sure everybody has the same thing. We're not supposed to t pay taxes so we can you know, uh, pay for everyone's schooling and education. When did that become the job of the government to pay for everybody's schooling? You don't see that anywhere in the Bible. Now, yes, our nation has taken those responsibilities, but you know what? That's not biblical. And when people speak out against the money that is wasted on these things, they are not speaking or they are not violating these verses in the Bible. We're violating these verses in the Bible when we criticize our government for punishing evildoers. And we should not do that. We should support them. So, But the truth for us as Christians, we are supposed to be in the business of restoring people. However, we should submit to the laws that are in place and not take the law into our own hands. The Bible says the Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness. But as long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then once again, I know what a lot of you have been thinking. 
Jesus did away with the death penalty. That's right. That's Jesus did away with the death penalty. And they like to bring up the story of the woman that was taken in adultery. And in verse, and John chapter 8, verse 5, after they bring this woman to Christ, it says, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger and wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said to them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And then you all remember Jesus' famous words. And he said, Where are these thine accusers? And no man. She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, people's misrepresentation of this passage is simply because of their ignorance of most of the Bible. And if you read in John chapter 18, well, before we get there, understand, remember, when they asked Jesus that question, they were tempting him, okay? And they brought up a legitimate fact that in the Bible, someone taken in adultery was to be stoned. But in John chapter 18, verse 29, Pilate then went out to them and said, what accusation bring you against this man? Talking about Jesus. The Jews had brought him to Pilate. They wanted him put to death. Then answered and said unto him, If he were not a male factor, we would not have delivered him up to thee. Then said Pilate unto him, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. Now wait a minute. The Old Testament law was very clear they could put people to death if they were a male factor. Of course, Jesus was not. They were lying. But the truth is, during that time, they weren't under the Old Testament law. They were under Roman law. They were under control of the Romans, and it was against the law for them to put anyone to death. And there, that's why Jesus was being tempted. If Jesus would have said, stone her, then they could have accused him to the Romans, saying he had this woman stoned, which is against the law, where if he says, let her go, then they can go tell all the religious people he doesn't follow the Old Testament. And you see there that that was how they were tempting him, but Jesus shut them all down. He wasn't falling for any of their tricks. And sure enough, I mean, he got them all to leave. And the truth is, as Christians, we are in the business of restoring people. The church should never put anyone to death. I know there's churches that have in other countries that ruled and that were in charge. And the church is not to be the ruler of government. The church is in the business of restoring people, but the government is in the business of punishing evildoers. And that is why, as a church, we're not out there killing people, saying, you know, the Bible does say that a murderer should be killed, and if the government doesn't do it, we're, you know, we're going to do it ourselves. We would never, ever do that because it has never been the job of the church. It's never been the job of a Christian to put someone to death. It is the job of the government. And when they do that, we ought to support them. We ought to be behind them 100%. And that, folks, right there, that's Bible.